0: Do we have any comments or thoughts from mm-hmm. last week's class or any of the classes? This is our next to the last, I do so. Good. Good. Thank you. Anything that needs to be talked about? No? No, no great revelations
1: share the experience that's <laughs> kind of okay. All right. Yes, no. 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 <laughs> can, sure. can we can we share not? Big success stories. It's just that we <laughs> feel like we're increasing our magnetism. Sure. You There's no <laughs> rules. <laughs> go ahead. Because I got a wonderful divine mother gift, uh-huh. completely out of the blue. Something that um, I just have to feel that my magnetism has shifted and
0: things are changing.
2: Good oh, okay. okay. yeah.
0: That's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. It's not what we come to testify, but but it's true, it's not a small thing, you just feel like energy shifted Mm -hmm. and now everything shifts. Mm -hmm. It's just, once you begin to kind of get that, basically what you get is that every time you have a problem, you just work to shift the energy, Mm -hmm. and you stop worrying so much about all the details, you just
1: go back to the center core place and start shifting the energy and figure everything else will fall. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have something to share. I um, had completed my thesis about, uh, over a year ago, and I, didn't, I failed to keep a copy of it myself. I lost the disc. So I called the school to see if I could pick up the two copies that I had there, because I'm trying to go on for a higher degree, and they destroyed both the theses. Oh, um, and they didn't wow. call me to tell me. And I sat there, and I pondered on it, and I, was, I wanted to cry, but I, wasn't, I, I, didn't, I was at work. I not believe that they had done that because it used to be they held it for five years. And I just turned it in December of 99. And mm-hmm. I had been asking for it. It was a signature page and everything. But instead of, um, you know, getting so depressed and overwhelmed and of the details and how stupid I should have kept this. And I'm mad at the school, at the dean. And I just said, well, I'm going to focus my energy that maybe it will manifest. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. just refocus it and, and, and hope that maybe it wasn't one it wasn't thrown away. Maybe it's still in the storage, bin. the... Because they're, they're shifting right now the okay. building. So I'm keeping hope and thinking, well, maybe the disc will show up. We're going to go keep and and <laughs> Oh, wow. All my work. You know? Yeah. So I'm hoping that I misplaced the disc. I was in such a frenzy during that time. I turned in the day it was due at midnight. Mm-hmm. So I think that's had Put it there, I was kind of forgot about it. But now I, Good.
0: I have this. Isn't uh, it odd that things have happened to us? You know, I had a... Um, I I, I was just reading this in a transcript of another class I gave, so it's fresh in my mind, but it's an old story. Um, I had an experience once when I was in seclusion, and I say it was because I was in seclusion, because I was a lot quieter and a lot less distracted than one normally is, of course. Um, And I was aware of the fact that inhibiting my experience of meditation and inhibiting my life in general was what I felt was like a wall. And I'm accustomed to sort of having the experience in meditation of becoming aware of thoughts and feelings that you may have sort of thought you dealt with, but that you had actually repressed, or you just sort of were too busy to notice that you're really mad at someone or frustrated about this. And so you'll just kind of find yourself continually distracted by something almost subliminally until you really focus and recognize that there's something that you have to put out energy to to deal with one way or another, externally or internally. But this that I was experiencing did not have any form or any specifics. It was no distress over having lost an object or frustration because I didn't speak up when I should have or, or disappointment because something I wanted didn't come to me, all the normal things. But it, yet it had the vibration of all of those things it was that level of consciousness in which emotional issues are unresolved. And it was just a gigantic mass of it. And while I was sort of trying to concentrate and understand what it was... Joe, maybe if you leave that door open, yeah. there's a lot more air in here yeah. if you do that. Um, just opening this door, you'll see it'll make a big difference. <coughs> um, uh, I became aware that it was the cumulative Collection of all those vibrations of all the incarnations I'd ever had. Right. And now think about it. Uh, if you look around, I mean, we of course are still alive, and we still have the hope that everything in our life is going to resolve neatly. You know, we're trained on movies and television, and we think that by the time, just before the last commercial, it all just kind of works. <laughs> so just before that last breath, you know, all the all the relationships will harmonize, all the Heroes will <laughs> arrive, all the issues will be fixed, and we'll just die with a clean o slate and just start right over. But in fact, looking at other people, not thinking about ourselves, <laughs> we notice that sometimes people are sad for many, many reasons when they die.
2: Right?
0: Well, what happens to all that? Yes it's true we lose our bodies, but we don't lose our consciousness. Our consciousness, in fact recently, because I was with Swamiji in Europe, when I got word that my mother had died, which all of you know, which was not a, a, a terribly sad thing because she had been very sick and it was just a great grace of God that she got out of her body. In fact, when my sister told me she had died, my response was good for her, meaning it was like a, an act of courage to go on, so lest you feel sorry for me. But, um, so we were talking a bit about death, and Swami just emphatically said on several different occasions, death is nothing. He said, nothing. It's nothing. To die is nothing. You just, you just are without any break. You just keep going. You you do drop your body. You do go into another dimension, but nothing happens. If you're not afraid of it, he said, it's really nothing. It's only the fear that makes it seem like something. And even then, by the time it happens, the fear goes away because there's just nothing to be afraid of. You know, in, in taking a step from here to here, there's just no great cause for panic. Um... But realizing that, you also have to realize that even though you do change dimensions, and you do sort of lose the momentum of whatever this story is, nonetheless, whoever you are just crosses over with you. And when I was asking him specifically about my mother, and sort of, you know, how conscious is a person of this world, and he made the comment that if you're, if you're highly evolved and have an expanded awareness, you can be quite aware of this world. But if you're just a more or less ordinary person, he said, you sort of know that the world here is going on, and you kind of remember that you used to be part of it, but the details are really obscure to you. (laughs) You know, all the ins and outs of who and what and why and where. But whatever consciousness you have formed remains with you. So, which is to say, if you have developed a strong commitment to anxiety, or a strong commitment to disappointment, or a strong commitment to anger, you will not remember necessarily all of the stories, or disappointment or sadness. You won't necessarily remember all the details, but what the essential vibration that you resonated on will still be part of you. Right? Mm-hmm. So I was realizing in this meditation that I was just sort of caught in all the incarnations of unresolved energy. You know, and it was, it, it, it just there it was, and I couldn't, I couldn't go any farther until I, I kind of took it apart a little bit. Now, of course, that's what meditation itself does, without you having to dismantle it cell by cell. Especially Kriya Yoga dismantles it on masse, so to speak, in a very efficient way, kind of like if you have a hose, and you know... I'm sure many of you have longed for it, the kind of house that nobody has, where you just have a drain in the middle and a hose <laughs> on the wall, <laughs> <laughs> and just clean it out every once in a while. But you can, you know, kind of do that. You do that to your patio, and you just you don't have to really examine every leaf and figure out how it got there and why it's there and what its origin was and what tree it used to live on and where it was he- heading and when it fell. You just take the hose and just you, know, you just blast them out. So really, that's what we ended up doing. finally is that we don't really have to to deal with each of those little things individually. We just have to raise our magnetism enough so that... Because what it is, it's a whirlpool of energy. If you create a stronger whirlpool of a higher dimension, it essentially just sucks that energy up and it dissolves the whirlpool. If you think about a river flowing, and you know the whirlpools of the river, you can undo any whirlpool. If If the river flows strong enough, it just sucks in the whirlpool, right? What happens to the whirlpool? Well, it ceases to exist because it was... The result of a dynamic tension between the upward flowing river and the desire for the water to spin If the river flows strong enough that the desire for the water to spin is overcome if the consciousness flows strongly enough up to the divine then the capacity for the water to spin on the sidelines is lost you cannot feel resentful alone mistreated sad and angry and blissfully aware of god simultaneously so, <laughs> they, they cancel one cancels the other out and so when my awareness was that all of those memories of separation and suffering were, were cancelling out the inclination of my consciousness toward upward movingness and joy. And so I needed to reverse the energy and just put enough energy out in an expansive way that I could cancel out all that, that resentment and suffering. Now, all of that is exceedingly relevant. I say that to you because the, what I'm actually saying to you is Sufficient unto this lifetime is the suffering thereof, you know, like, suffer over the pieces all you want, but eventually get rid of it. Because you don't want to, like, live with it for the rest of your life. (laughs) I was speaking to someone not too long ago about someone who had some very traumatic experiences with religion. And as a consequence, you know, still has difficulty quite trusting, which, you know, is a common thing. And, And there's a certain style in our culture to be real sympathetic. To a point I'm sympathetic, but to another point I just say, how long do you want your life to be ruled by that? You know? Okay, so you were traumatized. Big deal. You know, now let's get out of the past and into the present. Otherwise, it never ends. And I mean, I know it's not always that easy, but at a certain point we also have to take ourselves in hand and say, you know, I don't really care how justified I am in feeling rotten. I'm tired of it. I want to just be able to be in the moment and go on. Now, that's exactly... Um, what his first chapter is about, you know, the need for concentration, which, really, uh, when he starts talking about the method, you know, he just talks, he starts right away, this is the method for developing the magnetism that we need, and he starts with the simple word, concentration, which is really basically all that we actually do need to learn, but of course, in the art of learning to concentrate, we have to learn everything. (laughs) He's very
2: sleepy. (laughs) Before I go forward with this, are there any other comments or thoughts from anything from
0: the any comments so no, far? Okay. Um, and he's deals with subjects that we've been dealing with all the way along. You know, we're just mentioning the concept of willpower. And he says, Success depends on the amount of energy that we bring to bear on something. And it's a, a, a very, just a very simple thing to realize, and this is what we were saying earlier, it's all about the energy that you put out, and the quality of the energy, and the kind of energy. I remember, I believe in the beginning of this class, commenting to you all that when I first uh, married David, one of the things that just really struck me was that his his karma of success was no secret, it was simply that he put out a lot more energy than, most, than many people, not most people, but many people. And as a result, there was just this sort of un- unrelenting magnetism always being generated. I remember when uh, I was working on that project, which I believe I talked to you all about in one of our classes, of trying to make a non village into a California city. That the experience of that, was 18 months. And because it was a, a political project, really, that had enormous opposition, it was a very constant effort, and I was very aware of that. I was aware of the fact there was this constant magnetic force trying to block it, and that it wasn't just, for me, a question of writing papers and dealing with politicians and speaking in public and all of that. It was a, 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 just a constant need to push forward because it was a great force pushing back. You know, and I could, I could just feel it. I was more aware then. It was one of the first times I became really powerfully aware of the fact about how, how much what you do is just about the willpower and the magnetism that you put into it. Now he makes a very interesting and important point here, when he says that we 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 will not succeed if we think only about mental power, and he draws in this uh, just simple fact that it's that that the power of our success depends on what we want to have happen, and then he makes a, a strong distinction here about the difference between feelings and emotions, and. I think that's also something really worth spending a few minutes contemplating, because he, he does such a good job of explaining about how emotion appears to sort of have all this power. But it's power, just as he describes it, like a wave going up. But then the inevitability is that the wave goes down, and we think that we have a lot of energy when we're being emotional, but he says it perfectly, emotions do not exert a lasting effect on the world around us, because they're all unconnected to the, the, the grand central source of our energy. Okay? A picture that some of you have taken classes in which we've talked about emotions, so for you this is somewhat repetitive, but nonetheless it always bears repeating. The way we need to think of ourselves at all times, and this also relates to the spine, you know, the image of a tree, and the tree with a really strong trunk, right outside our apartment in the Ananda community, where a number of you live or have visited, there's sort of the grand central tree of the community in many ways, which is this big elm. Is that right? Yes. It's a big elm and it has the shrine of Master under it, but it has the shrine of Master under it, it's like the grand central tree. Um, it just sort of feels like that. Am I correct yes, in saying yes, that? true. That's sort of like the guru tree of the place. <laughs> um, and it, it, because it's such a beautiful tree, because Rick, you know, tends to help it grow in its right directions by trimming it in the right way. It it, it starts with its trunk and then it extends out with this marvelous grace, you know, in all directions. And because it's right, it's it's really the view that we have from our bedroom is right into that tree. I've spent a lot of time over so many years, 10 or 11 years we've lived there, just looking at that tree in many different seasons. And... It's the power of it to sustain itself, of course, is because of the beautiful way a tree is built. You know, it it has all this grace and expansion and extension like this, and then each of these will extend out in all these different ways and so on. But everything draws its energy and its (coughs) power from this very deeply rooted, strong force where? In the center. And so even with very, very Agitated things can happen out here, you know, and sometimes we have these really strong winds and things will blow and the leaves will get stripped off or the squirrels will have their uh, Olympic contests, you know, (laughs) (laughs) out there screaming and running and hopping and jumping and sometimes cats get into the act, you know, all sorts of things happen. But at all times, the power of the tree always remains here. Now, you could think that if, if the tree got confused, if it had the capacity to get confused, and sort of began to to think, well, you know, this particular branch is so great, you know, it has so many wonderful leaves on it, and, and I like this branch because it's a little more in the sun than the others, and there's more little squirrels, you know, that play around in this one, and look at this marvelous nest, and, this one's all right, but you know, it's a little funky, and this girls don't like it. This is the one they really like. And if the energy of the tree begins to identify and define itself more with this singular branch, so much so that it begins to try to draw its sustenance from the pleasure in this branch, right? Such as, for example, my job, my relationship, my oldest child. My beautiful, long, red hair.
2: (laughs) What
0: is it? The fact that I'm young and slim, that's a real dangerous The fact that I'm such a big, strong basketball player. Whatever it might be, and we begin to sort of think more about how young and slim I am and how strong that makes me and how popular I am and how I really get everything I want because I'm so beautiful and because I can really play basketball. I don't have to study much and think about my future because there would be lots and lots of money to play basketball. <laughs> and we sort of begin to lose connection with what the source is. I mean, it looks ridiculous, you know, if the tree begins to define itself like that, but we're just the same, aren't we? We have this great central power which, no matter what happens, I mean, you could take this tree and take all the branches off of it and uh, you know using the tree analogy because we have all these trees in our community right over in one area some of the trees got killed or almost killed by bad weather and you know we took them down rick just cut them way down There was almost nothing left a few years ago but now it's just sort of all generated there it all is again because the core of it was not really touched everything was just superficial but it had the capacity to regenerate itself but if that tree had spent all its time feeling that it had been killed because its beautiful young slim body or its ability to play basketball or take it away from it, it never would have been able to regenerate. It had to have the faith and the will and the belief that it was in itself. Now, the difference between feeling and emotion, and Swami you know, really wants to make this very clear, because people sometimes think, well, if I'm not emotional, I'm dull. If I'm not emotional, there's no... Uh, texture to life. Okay, so, so we have to make in English what is in many ways an artificial distinction, but nonetheless there is, there's a real distinction in experience, so we just have to apply vocabulary. That feeling is that capacity from the heart that makes us uh, interested in doing things. If you don't care about something, it, you won't do it, no matter what you think. You might have all these ideas about how it's a good idea, I really ought to go, it would be good for me, But if you don't have any feeling for it, you won't do it. I mean, how many things are there in your life that you know are a good idea, but you don't want to do them? You have no inner commitment, no desire. So that's why Master says um, the the power is desire plus willpower, but there has to be the desire for it. But desire in and of itself does not become an emotion unless we allow ourselves to become improperly defined and pulled off center by it. And what we do is we create a new a new separate reality, as long as we know that even my beautiful long, young slim body, my ability to play basketball, my fabulous job, my wonderful relationship, my beautiful long red hair, is all just a manifestation of my true nature. And my true nature is connected to the infinite, is uh, thinking about much longer rhythms than just this life, is is seeing the world in terms of what it really is, just sort of coming and going, and then you can really enjoy these things. If you really do play basketball and can you know, make a life out of it, just do it heart, mind, and soul. And if you can really make a career out of your long red hair, by all means, you know, go for it. That's what you really want to do. I saw this picture of this movie star once. I mean, I don't think she ever became a star. I guess she was an aspiring star. To just, you know, sort of drive the point home, she was dressed in a, a leopard-skin print. But, you know, you just sort of, it was just a photograph, I don't even know her name, I just saw it once and I don't even remember where. But it, it sort of, <gasps> like took my breath away. Because you could see <coughs> in every ounce of this woman, her body, her face, and especially her consciousness and her eyes, she wanted to be. Holy <laughs> You know? And you can feel <laughs> that what she had right in that moment in that body and that face was the result of, you know, lifetimes of determined effort. Of this point. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you, we have to go through these things. Nobody can tell you it's not going to make you happy. You have to experience it. That's why we incarnate so many times. It's because we you know we won't believe it until we try. Yogananda know, said that every single thing that you are no longer drawn to do is because you have already tried it and you have discovered that it won't make you eternally happy and therefore you're not interested. I mean, And I don't just mean in a little way, oh, those red shoes, I wanted them, but I don't like them that much. I don't mean like that. I mean like murder, like um, swindling, like embezzling, uh, like uh, being a movie star, like being a, a great playwright, being a painter, being a dancer, being a, Banker, being a lawyer, being a whatever—if if, if you—if you have any desire, if you have any understanding that it's not what you want to do, I mean a real understanding, it's because you've done it. Because we have this thought in our mind that takes a, it takes millions of lifetimes to dislodge. That the only thing that was wrong was not that I was completely confused about the whole game but that I spent my whole time concentrating on this young slim body when I really should have concentrated on a basketball. we on being a man seven feet tall. That was, I, I saw the last, I've been thinking of basketball because you know, my husband follows the, follows the whole thing with the college basketball mm-hmm. players. I'm sure some of you all know about it. And there's this one, see, I always look at it from the human interest side, the, the star player, of one of the teams that won is the son of a professional basketball coach. Right? I mean, and he is six foot nine. Wow. So not only was he born to a family where (laughs) (laughs) sleeps and drinks and breathes basketball, but he made himself six foot nine. I just wanted to say, way to go, boy, way to go. (laughs) If you're gonna do it, just do it, right? Start and get it over with. I mean, now, is this the hundredth time that he's done this? Is he still just running the basketball game? I mean, his dad still is. You know, his dad's standing there, and he's,
2: you know, basketball. basketball. <laughs> <laughs> worse. you know, he's not a murderer or kidnapper, he's not the mafia, he's basketball. But,
0: basketball. But, you know, it places them, they like him. So they're out there doing it, so he plays basketball. And at a certain point, something's going to click, that somehow I wasn't perfectly happy. So maybe it was because I was a coach, maybe, maybe it was because I was a player, I need to be a coach, so I'll be a coach. Maybe it was because I was a coach, not a commentator, so I'll be a commentator. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was because I was a player, not a ball, so I'll be a <laughs> ball. <laughs> but you know, it's almost right, It almost
2: fits. a yeah, these are emotions.
0: <laughs> these are the strong feelings that yet take us off center instead of taking us into the center. Or anger or fear. And also, see, what happens though is if this poor basketball player, God forbid, should be in an automobile accident and maybe hurt, hurt one of his hands and can't play anymore. And all of a sudden, the limb is cut. Right? And he goes, he disappears. Because there I was, I was only basketball. He hits the ground. Right? then he becomes an alcoholic. Because it's gone. It's just gone. And fundamentally, everything. You know, you could have all the success in the world. How many How many? Uh, great civilizations have been digging up from, you know, 500 feet underground, flooded, destroyed, covered with sand? And who remembers? Right? Because it's gone. So if, if you have allowed your family, <coughs> to become too identified with the expression, specific form and expression rather than the flow of energy. If in fact this lad, and that's given the benefit of the doubt, what he really enjoyed was just the dynamic flow of energy and the challenge and the fun and the enthusiasm and the excitement and the discipline, and he loses his capacity to play, he'll just you know, retreat to center, gather up the energy and figure, what should I do with it now? Then make a new branch just like the tree did when it got all its branches cut off, it just kind of gathered its strength and then started making new ones again. Right? So, when we're working with an intensity of feeling and desire and enthusiasm, as Swami puts it so simply, nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. If you, if you think about... Sometimes people get the false idea in their mind that to be spiritual is to be dull, or to be uncommitted, or to be uninterested, and so we'll sort of try to be spiritual by, well, do you want to do that? Well, whatever. <laughs> you know, would you like to work on this one? If you want me to.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, are you going to go out for that trick one? Maybe. You know, because you think, well, I'm supposed to be centered. <laughs> but but you see, real, uh, there's one story that uh, was told by Peggy Dees. Peggy Deets was a direct disciple. She's passed away now. She was a direct disciple of Yogananda. She never lived at SRF. She he, he never had her be Yodhananda. She always lived outside. She was a real character. I mean, she sort of became friends of Ananda in the last ten years of her life. She wrote children's books and did art. She was just a really... She was a, I can only say she was a character. There's no other word. For her. She tells the funniest story. She was not a, a conventionally beautiful woman, just a... Sort of ordinary, nice looking woman with, with green energy, though. And once she said she had her hair cut in a certain way that um, it was not a real flattering haircut. And she said she came up to the car where Rajasi, who was Yogananda's most advanced male disciple, and Yogananda were in the car together. And she came up, and Rajas- and master said to her, Peggy, what have you done to your hair? And he said, Oh, Rajasi, you bless her, I can't bear to look. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just, a, it was just
0: loving friendship, you know, <laughs> Peggy just thought it was, it was hilarious. She didn't have any vanity, she didn't
2: have any illusions, <laughs> he was just
0: teasing her. You know, the masters are <laughs> very alive, very enthusiastic. You, you, you know, something like that can not happen in the context of blessed Jesus, you know, <laughs> and of course people laugh. That's how they express their sense of spirit and joke, and make fun, and I remember Swamiji was teasing me once about something just terribly, he's te- a terrible tease sometimes, I said, I just, again, I'm joking back,
2: Swamiji, you're making fun of me, I said, like that,
0: felt very serious, extremely serious, I had for a moment, he said, no, he said, I'm not actually making fun, I'm just taking advantage of the fun, <laughs> which is already present. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I feel, what I was really <laughs> going to say about Peggy was sometimes Peggy would drive the car for Master. And the story she told was uh, <coughs> uh, that they were driving somewhere and there was some construction project going on. Now bear in mind, this is the reason I hesitate on this story is because it makes him sound different than I know he really was, but he always responded intuitively. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes he would walk up and down Yogananda, or walk up and down the street in the Bowery District of Los Angeles, just blessing the people. Mm-hmm. And he said, no one even crossed his path without it there being a divine purpose in it. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what drunken bomb just had an infusion of awakening that then set his life in motion. Edgar Casey who used to go... He lived in this century, but he passed away now. He was a famous man. He used to be able to go into trances and he would read people's past lives and he seemed to have a high degree of accuracy. But often he would say to people who would come that the most significant thing that has happened to you and that is still the guiding element of your life is that you were on the street when Jesus walked by. You know not that you were some great disciple or Mary Magdalene or Matthew or anything like that, but you were just there in the crowd, and he went by, mm-hmm. and the power of his consciousness activated energy within you, which is still the guiding force in your life. It's, it's just amazing to contemplate. We have no—it's a very different world than anything. It's just—it's just such a different world. you remember? I'm going to go farther. Remember that story that Swamiji <laughs> told? Almost all of you heard this, but still, Ananda Ma the great woman saint. Was giving a lecture once and this fly kept buzzing mm-hmm. around her head mm-hmm. and they wanted to swat it she said no no leave it be later she said that that fly was an incarnated saint that they wanted to be close to his, as a, a mom called herself this body so he came as a fly so that he could just be close to me you know and a fly lives one day and then it's over but so the saint just you know was a fly nothing came around. <laughs> very strange world extremely strange but backing back you know So Peggy was driving the car, and Master was going by a building site of some kind of building hotel. He said to Peggy, what's going on there? She said, sir, I don't know. Peggy, you don't know what's going on there? All right, then. He said, I guess I'll just have to find out myself, pull in, let me (laughs) 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 off." He just, you know, went out and investigated the whole thing. Now, I'm sure he did that because he needed, had something else going on there. But he, he went back and he came back and he said, they're building a hotel, they built this fine bar in the front with his name, he, he described it all to her, you know, he'd taken the trouble to just really know what it was. I know, I remember when Swami Kriyananda, when I first was at Ananda, my own life experience was very narrow, and I had never, I never actually traveled outside of this country until I was 35. After I, I wasn't until I married David, and somehow his travel karma was much bigger than my stay at home. I've been all over the place since then. But Swamiji used to always talk about all the different qualities of different countries, and he would talk about the shutters on the chalets in Switzerland and what a good idea they were, and how we ought to bring that idea in. And he would, you know, talk about solution that the Italians had to some little life problem that the Americans hadn't quite figured out, and how in Israel they would do it this way, and just sort of always sort of looking and seeing, and Master was very much like that. Master uh, invented a great many things, and either, as he put it, planted the idea in the heads of, in the minds of others, or even in certain cases himself, he went to (coughs) Detroit, and apparently, I don't know how this actually works, but he had the idea that the gear ship should be on the on, mm-hmm. on the steering column, mm-hmm. and he communicated it to someone. It was he... These are, these are his, own, his own words. He who thought of putting a cover on the toilet seat. You know, instead of just having the seat be open, he's got a bad idea of putting a cover on it. It was his ideas to create the, the products that Loma Linda gradually put out, all the fake meats. Mm-hmm. You know, like that? That was his inspiration he, from mm-hmm. things he knew continued in India that they did with gluten and so on. Somehow he communicated. And I don't know the details of any of this, but these are all stated as facts. Now, I'm not trying to say this to say, Oh, gosh, Yogananda was so amazing. <laughs> Which, of course, he was. But that's not the point. The point is that even a great master is interested. And has energy. And is always innovating. And, and thinking, how can things be done better? You know, it's, it's the progress through the stages of spiritual growth. As I was talking last week, from parasitical, you know, to merchant where you're willing to trade kashatra where you're willing to serve but the characteristic, another characteristic because I only touched that lightly last week is that you become more and more uh, you, you exercise more and more initiative and you're more and more creative in the way that you think a characteristic of the parasitical level is you just do what you're told so, uh, in the past Swami tells a story about Master looking for these stained glass windows in this old junk store and Master knew intuitively that they were there but the employee that if he was trying to get to help him, just kept saying, Boss says no, must be no. <laughs> so the said, I know they're back here. The boss said, we don't have them. The employee said, Boss say no,
2: must be no.
0: <laughs> and sometimes that's how our minds get, isn't it? Well, you yeah, know, they said it was hard, must be too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but if we have a strong power within us that really wants to make it happen, it really is determined, but not determined in that kind of flash in the pan way. And a lot of the, what we have to do and able to develop this power of concentration is we ourselves have to discipline our emotions and turn them into strong, calm feeling. How many of you have had the experience, which I've, I know all too well, of being very excited for a short period of time about doing something? You know? And so there's a lot of energy. But it doesn't last, because we get way too out, far out on the limb, and we don't, like, take that, that, that energy and strongly concentrate it enough, and, and begin to get joy, and later on in these chapters, Swamiji talks about it, all the different ways we dissipate it. We work on too many levels at the same time. We work on a daydreaming about how much fun it's going to be when we succeed instead of working on developing the power and the presence in this moment to do the stuff that's exactly in front of us. The simple power of concentration is why we give so many exceedingly simple statements in this. You know, whatever you set your will to, no matter how trivial, always fulfill it. And it makes you much more conscious about what you set your will to, but you know, it just makes it because if you don't develop that habit of perseverance, we just won't have it. You know, it's one of the most important things we can train our children into. Just keep going. Remember Winston Churchill's famous remark in the middle of the war? Don't ever quit. We will never quit. We will never quit. We will never, 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 never quit. We will never quit. That's all he had to say. Mm-hmm. Because once they would never quit, that's all that's required. And so, in ourselves, we need to cultivate Sometimes I'm happy about it, sometimes I'm sad. Feeling is not about liking it or not liking it. Feeling is the strong understanding from the heart that this is just what I have to do. And it really doesn't make any difference then, whether you succeed or fail. Because, you know, there's a very interesting um, question asked in this chapter, which is, well, if life just goes up and down anyway, can't I just sit here and eventually the way will come around and lift me up? It's a very clever question. <laughs> it's the kind of question you would sort of sit and try to work out. You know, why do I have to put out effort? But his answer was interesting. Well, you'll get a little teeny-weeny bit of that upliftment, But you won't really get the power, the full potential of what's possible. In other words, then you'll just have to ride the wheel all the way around again until it comes around again. You'll just be stuck. And then you have to go through all the downs before that little up comes again. But if we have trained ourselves to be constantly persevering, when Swamiji was building Ananda, and I talked last week some about you know just the realization of just how completely solitary and how totally out of his willpower he built it he really was not building it to succeed. I mean, and when he, when he was building it. He, his his commitment and his feeling was that he had to try, and that was that was all that he concentrated on. His commitment was not that he had to to succeed at it. Whether he succeeded at it was in God's hands. What he knew, the feeling he had in his heart, was that he had to try. Now, if you you really concentrate on that, you see, that gives you a lot more freedom than thinking that I have to make it work. Now, that that doesn't mean that you won't make it work, and you certainly have to try to make it successful, because that's what you're trying to do. But our own job is just to keep trying and it also helps us to concentrate because really if we're concentrating on succeeding we haven't succeeded we're divided what we really have to do is work right now we really have to do the job that's in front of us and then the one that comes after and the one that comes after and the one that comes after and the one that comes after but also what that does is the more you define your determination to succeed in terms of your determination to do the job that's in front of you, the more you stay in in the center, (coughs) because that's all that's ever happening. And if each one of those steps turns into this great, wonderful tree, it's because of your willingness to stay focused right here. And so if we... Also, whenever we start thinking about succeeding, that can so often bring up the thought on the other side of the mind that we might fail. You know, and then all of a sudden you're succeeding, but what if I don't succeed, and what if I make all this effort, and no, then if it wasn't do anything? And all of that is just fluff anyway, because really in this moment, the question is not, shall I succeed? Shall I fail? Oh, you know, yeah, I think I'll succeed. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> you can't do it. That's not what's in front of you. What's in front of you is always some specific concrete task that has to be done, which is going to be followed by another one. Plus, the more you define your life merely by that effort, the more um, fun you have, and the more you can always, and the more you can ride the waves. Because if it goes well, fine, if it goes badly, fine, it's still just exactly what's in front of you to do. Do you see how different that is? And that also keeps us out of the debilitating, scattering energy of emotional ups and downs, and allows us, what am
3: I supposed to do, what am I supposed to do right here in this moment, just day after day? Yes. I had no problem with doing the task. My problem is, after reading this and thinking about it, um, and thinking about my life, is that I'm very curious. I invent things, and I just Mm -hmm. file another patent, and, Mm -hmm. but, so the problem I have is really, Sorting through all the stuff and picking out the things, so I do work hard here, and then I work hard here, and I work hard here, and you know, I, I think that I would benefit from more focus, but it's something that I'm so drawn to so many things and with such enthusiasm that okay. I find it difficult. Your to problem do that.
0: in life is not generating enthusiasm. <laughs> oh. yeah. Or I said, your problem in life is not enthusiasm. I mean, no. plenty of that. Yeah, no. and plenty of creativity yeah. and
3: ideas and all that. But this but is how
0: Swami Kriyananda has solved that problem. And he points out that m- many or most multi-talented people don't necessarily accomplish that much in any field.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Swami himself is multi-talented. a brilliant writer, a musician, a singer. He's a good photographer. He's not bad at architecture. He's an administrator. He says his, his technique is concentration. And, and really profound concentration, as he puts it, when he's writing a book, he, he, he just never thinks about music, and if it should cross his mind, he actually even says he can't imagine how a person could write a single melody while he's writing a book, because he's, he just defines himself so completely, but, but until until whatever that thrust of energy has reached a natural conclusion, then it's usually that he's finished the book.
3: But how does he pick the book instead of the song, to, to focus on um, the music?
0: Number one is faith that there's enough opportunity to do everything. Mm-hmm. See, part of the anxiety of doing this instead of, of, of that is fear. Oh, but I'll never get to that.
2: Mm. Right? But you'll lose that opportunity. But you'll lose
0: that opportunity. So part of it is just the calm realization that <coughs> I'm not doing this out of ego. I'm doing this because it's there to be done. And if it's there to be done, it'll wait for me. Mm-hmm. You know, just an appreciation that the ideas flow in rather than I am creating them. I mean, you can make a note, you know, make a note about something, but if you, I'm sure you've discovered, if you allow your mind to flip from thing to thing, it never goes deep. And he just says, I mean, that's simply what he says. When I'm doing one thing, that's all I do. And I don't do other things simultaneously. Now, he sometimes he may stop for three days and do something else, but when he stops for three days, that's all he does. And he mentions in this book, and it's very interesting, you have to make a practice of doing one thing Mm at a time. And and, and ever since I've been reading that, I just watch myself, because I, it's sort of a joke, after I'm finished cooking, every cabinet and every door in our kitchen is open about an inch and a half. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I never actually close anything. You know, before Mm -hmm. I actually close it, I go off and do something else. So that's not so terrible. I just go through and close it all at the end. But, but it is also symptomatic of the fact that I, I tend to be on to the next thing before I finish this one, and it's not a virtue, mm. because it, it, it's indicative of the fact that the mind is too lightweight. And so instead of Henry trying to sort of grab it in its massive form, start grabbing it in its small form. You know, completely. I remember, I mean, I know many of you will laugh at this because this is so common, but David was, getting, was interested, there was some conversation about David getting some kind of hands-free telephone, and Swami heard that, and Swami's answer was, why? He said, so that you can do something else while you should be talking on the phone. Of course, that's why you get it, so that you can do two things at the same time. But of course, I mean, I know, uh, sometimes when I talk to David and he's at home at his desk, I can feel that he's doing something else, and I'll say, are you doing something else? you know like stop it talk to me because <laughs> I can tell you're not concentrating And you can tell when you're talking to other people on the phone and I mean I'm tempted to am talking to someone on the phone and I'm like gosh, I can check my email at the same time <laughs> and I just feel myself drifting out of the conversation and I'm saying uh-huh yeah sure but you, you're not you're not doing it and it's all pervasive in our culture to not concentrate
2: multitasking yeah all the things. Things. <laughs> it's like a- this is to be a good thing. But it isn't
0: because yes. it weakens yes. your willpower yeah. profoundly. Because you get out of the habit of really putting all your will into anything that you do. Swamiji so mm-hmm. is really impressive in his concentration, and and when he when he, he, he talks to you, he stops doing what else he's doing, and when he's doing something else, I mean, he'll, you know, he just won't he won't divide his concentration, and and you can see it's a deliberate practice of his. But he accomplishes
2: more, not less.
3: Yeah. I, I think, I certainly understand it, and I think that's something that, that I clearly uh, need to work on. But the, the problem, the, the thing I'm grappling with, I happen to be at this point in my life where probably like a lot of 53-year-olds that, you know, okay, what do I do next?
0: Now that I'm grown up. Yeah, <laughs> and
3: yet yeah, I still have to make an income, I still got two kids, you know, I mean, so that influences things. And, but unfortunately I'm unfortunately in a position where I've got a little time to figure this mm-hmm. out, but it could go so many different ways and it's like, well, how do I pick, you know? And I'm still so struggling with, with how do I pick and really make the commitment to, you know, because it is going to take some commitment too. The
0: question you're actually asking is how do you get intuitive guidance? Yeah. Okay. Which um, is a very good question. But a bigger question that I could answer here. But there's a couple of really good tapes out there, okay. and I would really suggest you you read one, listen to one or two, because it. But a lot of it is <clears throat> recognizing, and I'll just give a short answer because it's relevant. Probably doesn't matter a lot what you do. Mm-hmm. You think it matters a lot, mm-hmm. so you partly just at a certain point just have to start getting involved. Mm-hmm with anything that makes sense. There, there comes a certain point where it's better to do something rather than continue the waiting to decide.
3: Right.
0: But the best answer really is to... I know... Uh,
3: do you have a tape?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of there I can point to. This woman told me a very interesting story. She's a woman in our church and she went she went to India and adopted a baby. And they actually brought her three babies. She had to choose the baby. Mm. She was telling me the story and she said, you know... She said other women who had done the same thing said... If you, if you get quiet enough, the, the baby the yours will tell you about. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so she went and met the babies. and was just, as she said, a total wreck. She didn't know what to do. She went back to the hotel. She had a, tan, a chant of Robert, a, a tape of Robert chanting, mm-hmm. and some tape of some class that I'd given that she really liked. Mm-hmm. She sat by the uh, pool in the hotel, listened to the whole talk that I gave do I remember what the subject was, listened to Robert chant, and basically got out of her brain. And just got more into her spine. She got out of her emotions. Her emotions were, <gasps> like this. And she just got out of them, got into the, the center of the tree. She went. She held the three babies. And one baby said, Mine! You're mine! I belong to you! And she said, it was just as clear as if the child was <laughs> <Aww. laughs> You know, it's just like, she didn't really have to do anything. She had to stop doing so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, because it was there. It was destiny. You know, she was going to bring on one of those children and it was going to be her. But she didn't have the slightest doubt once she stopped, uh, got, got into her center. Then the baby just said, take me home, I'm yours. And so your job will find you when, once, I get centered. once you get centered. So the mm-hmm. job is less to find the job and more to do nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to do nothing because you have to take the, the enormous energy that you want to use running in circles and use all of that energy to be perfectly still. It's very dynamic. you know. And I don't mean you're inactive. You can be very active, but you're perfectly still. And you're just doing it because it'll tell you, Oh, is that easy? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you practice when it is easier. You practice in all those little tiny ways when you allow yourself, your concentration to slip, and yourself to get all muddled up. And you, and when, when there's much less at stake, oh, should I have the tuna, should I have the egg cells? should I have the tuna, should I have the egg cells? You know, it's like all the time. <laughs> I'm just running like this. I mean, I've done that. I'm standing around refrigerator. What should I eat? What should I eat? Do? I don't know. Should I eat this? Should I eat this? Like, <laughs> just stand still. Just stand still. Just be quiet. All of You know, it's just like it's, it's never, the decision isn't a problem if you're not all scared. And that's why Swami says in here, you know, practice meditation, bring your energy habitually to this point. He says, and you'll find that you can <coughs> focus and, and solve things in minutes that might literally take other people weeks. Well they researched and read and tried to know this and tried to know that. But but you know, just gradually over a long time find it where if you're very concentrated, you just go right to it. I
2: yeah.
0: Also, I find it's not just the concentration, it's the discipline to not be distracted by these crisis management people that want to interrupt you, too. <laughs> you know, so, to stay focused and complete it. Yeah, just stay focused, complete we we'll Get that much more done. Go into what, what we call Krishna time. Banbali gave Davis, that I told you all about before about Krishna time. It's
1: fine, this will get done. You know, or it won't.
0: I've just read this wonderful book about Disraeli, who was the Prime Minister of England in the last century. Cap Penanto, Queen Victoria. It's a very interesting biography. I only knew his name. But what was so fun about it is, a lot of things happened in his life that were profound and important and dynamic and all that. But they're all over. (laughs) They're all finished. you know what I mean? It's like, it was so exciting and so breathtaking and so important at the time. But now it's not. And I thought, I think there's a
2: little clue here. (laughs) And just really was was a marvelous politician.
0: And he trained himself. I mean, the House of Commons in in England is a party give and take. (laughs) And because he was a Jew and uh, a rebel in a lot of ways, he was, but he was the unquestioned leader because he was so dynamic. But he trained himself to be able to sit absolutely still. Mm-hmm. So he would deliver these fantastic addresses, and then everybody would yell and scream and vilify him and call him an idiot and all these things, and, and they, he would just sit. He wouldn't just focus, he would sit motionless. But I thought, what a marvelous discipline to just train yourself to sit motionless. Then he was perfectly wide awake, but why dissipate all his energy? He needed to, because, you know, he needed to He needed to have a, an invincible persona because of the world that he was living in. But I, it just intrigued me a great deal to start thinking about that. Well, let's
2: take a look at that. Speaking oh, of some let's look at the <laughs> okay.
0: yeah. Now, Rick made a very interesting point, which was, was uh, talking about the difference between emotion and calm feeling. And it, it has to with <coughs> in with Swamiji's music. Um, I think I talked in here about my experience of Barbara Streisand singing. Was it in this class that I talked about that? Where um, I was living. By, is this a yes or a no in my head? No, it i exactly. possible. I've heard of it. I don't know where. with me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a village for from 1971 until 1986 or '87 when we moved here, and from '71 until the early 80s um especially we were very very isolated and then i began to just travel more and be out in the world a little bit more and we didn't have electricity and we weren't interested so you know hold that I'll here many people make references to just the vast parts of popular culture just went right by and they were there knew Barbara Streisand existed, and because we weren't that isolated, but I didn't really quite know what she ever sounded like until many years after she was very popular. I watched the movie Lent Lento,
2: Lento.
0: This is a story about a woman who became a teeny
2: She was a culture lady. <laughs> oh my! Wow. You can make. Well, you, imagine what it is
0: when you learn a language. This is slightly off color, but it was so funny when Rosanna Sarmiento, wife from Italy, um, when she was having to deal with the beds, and she was coming close to the question of sheets. When she got closer, and closer to the word, she said, "I get very nervous when I get close to the." <laughs> the <laughs>
2: So I taught her the word deadly. Because <laughs> we just slipped, awesome. right? In. <laughs>
0: she also was talking once about how there was a lot of problem with the airport. They couldn't land because there were so many frogs on the runway. On it's because of the fog on
2: the runway. Oh, wow. <laughs> Anyway,
0: so, <laughs> Barbara Stratton was not a linguk, she was a yentl. <laughs> and you know, she's a, 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 was, is, a very charismatic singer. She does what she does exceedingly well. So, when you see people who do it exceedingly well, you kind of get the picture. Swamiji remarked about Michael Jackson, whom he doesn't care for his music at all, but he's aware of the fact that Michael Jackson does exactly what he sets out to do. And does it perfectly. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has crystal clarity about his intention. And he does it <coughs> perfectly. It may, may not be something that you yourself want to do. Maybe you do like it, but you have to admire it. You know? Well Barbara Streisand is like that, and what she does or did in that movie especially, and it's you know, she's sh- she she just really stirred up your heart. I hear these songs and you just you just, oh, I can't see. you oh you know, So it makes you feel like that. That's how they sing the like that. <laughs> it's almost like this like you just feel you're just being pulled and pulled and pulled and then it ends mm-hmm. and there you are you're just you're right there and then what would happen is you go <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you get you get into these things and you really love them but then you fall apart afterwards you, you, you can't go anywhere because it just pulls your emotions out not up and it doesn't resolve it in any kind of super-conscious um, experience. It just makes you long for something.
2: Right?
0: Now, it's fine to have divine longing, because there is a conscious force that will fulfill you. And, you know, okay, so you go to a romantic movie and you get all stirred up romantically, and you happen to have a sweetheart in your life, so you feel yeah. like you could fulfill it. But still, even human relationships, if they just keep going in this horizontal direction, this is the picture that we're drawing here. Swami's music, by contrast, is all uplifting and internal, and sometimes people don't like it; they just think it's dull mm-hmm. because we're used to being um, we're used to being emotional. We're used to having the music make us feel emotional. So, so sometimes it takes a while to get into his music or into Yogananda's chants. Because we have to be, become calm enough to be able to go where the music is taking us. You know, and really lift us. And if you really learn it, learn the root, you'll realize that that music takes you very deep inside. And then it does exactly what he describes. What do you do with your emotions? Well, you lift them up. And so you take that longing that's trying to reach up to the world like this, and we use it to lift yourself upward to the spirit. And then even if you have all these branches to your tree, you're still, your strength is coming from your trunk. Do you see what I mean? And so if you listen to Barbara Streisand and then to Swami Kriyananda, you'll sort of get the difference between emotion and feeling. Because he sings with a tremendous amount of feeling. It's not uh, dry. But, but there's not a hint of emotion in it. I was commenting too when, I, when, when you hear him speak, um, he doesn't give you any um, emotional hooks. And a lot of times, and I respect this, people will just say, what's the big deal? You know, everybody's so fond of this guy, but who is he? he doesn't, you know? doesn't move me. And he doesn't move you. <laughs> you know, he just won't. He won't come out on that vibration. He just comes out on this very straight Inward vibration, and if you want to go there, you suddenly discover that there's a tremendous power to take you. But if you don't want to go there, you don't go anywhere. You know, he's only he only has one route. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? And so we have to. It's something that you have to really work with yourself because our culture is a hundred percent emotion oriented, and talk about lack of concentration. Mm. Oh my God! You know, things
2: just go in media is the main thing. It just goes just like that. <laughs>
0: It's so frustrating for a person who's not concentrated.